Hey, welcome to the Weekend Bite presented by the Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder, and thanks for tuning in this week. What a better way to get this program started than kickstarting with the biggest story, the update from the Federal Reserve that had everyone on the edge of their seats. Joining us today to give his take is our headliner and veteran of the industry, David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist from J.P. Morgan. David, thanks for joining us today. I'd love to start by asking you, what was your biggest takeaway from this particular FOMC meeting? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. And I think the biggest takeaway is that the Federal Reserve is continuing to get more hawkish. I think they, uh, they, they're trying to lay out a path by which they raise short-term interest rates, by which they uh, reduce the size of their balance sheet. But the thing that struck me the most was when Chairman Powell was doing his press conference was a number of times he said, this is different from the last expansion. We can move faster. We can be more aggressive in raising interest rates this time around, or at least implying that. And I think that was a little bit of a surprise to markets. So this is a Fed that has gone from dovish to hawkish pretty fast here. Yeah, it seems like every answer he had almost came off as very hawkish. So what are the chances of a hard landing increasing here? Well, I think those risks do increase. Um, you, know, I've, uh, you know, I think monetary policy is kind of like driving on ice and you may find yourself drifting over in the wrong direction, but the worst thing you can do is then you know, try to, to jerk the steering wheel to try and get back into the right direction. You've just got to try to move slowly back in the right direction. Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve has never learned this lesson. And so the number one Federal Reserve mistake uh, over the more than century that it has existed is that they tend to overreact to things too late. So they wait too long and then they do too much. Um, and that does increase the chances of a hard landing. Um, you know, right now the economy is in very good shape. I think it will have slowed down in the first quarter. It'll pick up in the second as hopefully Omicron fades. But we are basically at full employment. It's an economy that will naturally grow more slowly. And it wouldn't take too much more in the form of mistakes from Washington to, you know, to turn a sort of 2% growth into negative growth. So I'm afraid that I still think we'll probably keep growing solidly into 2023, but the risk of a hard landing has certainly increased. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I know everybody's keeping eyes on that as well, especially in the bond market. And if as, if as expected, long-term rates continue to move higher from here, what can our audience do as far as asset allocation for the new environment? Well, first of all, I think that they should move higher from here because after all, there is no point in monetary tightening at all if you don't raise long-term interest rates. Um, it's, you know, it's one of the secrets they try to keep from people is the fact that the, you know, the only way the Federal Reserve can control inflation is by slowing down the economy. That's how they try to do it. And the way they try to slow down the economy is they make it too difficult for people to borrow money. That's kind of the point. Uh, so they do intend to push up long-term interest rates. That's the, their goal. For investors, I think the most important thing is to think about, you know, if we've got an environment in which there are a lot of things which are just mispriced because the rate of interest has been negative in real terms. Uh, you know, if the carrying cost of crazy is zero, you do a lot of crazy things. Uh, and that I think we've seen in markets. But as long-term interest rates back up, I expect that things that uh, have very high PE ratios or uh, where there is a price and there's no earnings at all, for example, in cryptocurrencies, I think they're under the greatest threat. Whereas uh, areas which haven't participated in the speculation, things like U.S. value stocks or international equities, I think that's where your best opportunity is. Yeah, and I'd love to just add one more question here, if you don't mind. Um, you know, with the with the print that we saw this morning about consumer spending kind of coming down a little bit from uh, what was estimated, 
do you feel like the Fed is now getting into a position as where they won't have to do as much? Or are they still in this position where they need to be more in the hard landing stance and this might be more aggressive? I think they need to to stop trying to control this, actually. Uh, I, need, I think they need to recognize the limits of their power. The reason inflation is high um, is because of supply chain issues caused by uh, the pandemic and massive fiscal spending, which put money into the hands of lower middle income households who normally don't have it and went out and spent it on a whole lot of stuff. That's what happened. Uh, that wasn't really about the Federal Reserve's um, uh, impact on interest rates on the housing market or investment spending. That's not really what moved the economy in the first place. And for the Federal Reserve, they they don't need to, I think they do need to gradually raise interest rates back to more normal levels, but they should try to do it in the background. I think they should try not to micromanage the economy. I think the, I think we, we're going to have less fiscal stimulus anyway for political reasons. I think the supply chain dis disruptions will ease. We'll have some residual inflation because of the, you know, perhaps too much stimulus over the pandemic, but it will gradually fade away. I think the Federal Reserve should should just try to slowly normalize monetary policy and try not to micromanage the, the macro economy. Yeah, and you brought up supply chain. Now, I know mention, you mentioned earlier to our editing team here at Seeking Alpha earlier in the week about what's going on with China right now. So do you consider you know the, the no COVID policy a big issue for inflation going forward? I think it's a risk because uh, you know one of the numbers I look at every morning when I get up is I look at the number of uh, cases that Chinese CDC is uh, reporting. And every day, it's a number of about 100 cases or 100 to 150 cases. There is nothing about this disease which suggests that you can keep it at that level. Um, it, you know, it's either going to go to zero, which is unlikely, or it's going to explode at some stage. And I think right now, the Chinese are desperately trying to control it and portray a country that have, has controlled it but I don't think they're going to be able to do that with as contagious a virus as this is. We're already seeing some problems in Hong Kong. I think we'll see some problems elsewhere in Asia. And I think ultimately Omicron will take off in China. So they'll try and delay that day. But there, there is a significant risk that at some stage it just takes off and China has to kind of let it go. Uh, and when that happens, you're going to see significant disruptions in the Chinese, you know, the healthcare sector, obviously, but also the factory sector. So I think there is the potential for some disruptions caused by China's sort of late fight with Omicron, which I think the rest of the world, will, the battle will be over. Uh, but uh, the war won't really even have started in China, um, you know, until they relax this policy a little bit. Yeah, seems like all eyes right now are over in Asia in that Pacific region. Uh, uh, region. Um, David, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. There's some really insightful stuff there for our audience. You have a great weekend. All right. Now, next up, I'd like to go ahead and bring in Chris DeMuth Jr. from Sifting the World, a Seeking Alpha Marketplace service that covers everything related to SPACs, to discuss what he says is his big idea for the year. Hey, Chris, I took a note, or sorry, I took a read of the note that you put out, and you say, virtually every great investment opportunity I've ever seen was at first good, and then something unexpected happened to make it great. And this one is certainly in that category. Can you give our audience the rundown of what the stock is and what's going on so that, you know, or sorry, what's going on that can make this such a great investment? Sure. Uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, the stock is Renren. The ticker is R-E-N-N. -N. Uh, and this was a, uh, is a Chinese uh, company, trades in the U.S. Uh, it was at one point heralded as the next Facebook. It's not the next Facebook. It uh, had a uh, 
VC style fund that had a major investment in SoFi that was spun off uh, in a way that was uh, harmful to shareholders. Uh, we brought uh, uh, litigation, uh, shareholders brought litigation, and uh, we're kind of dealing with that process uh, now. Uh, we settled uh, the plaintiffs and defendants, um, and I, I guess disclosure, I'm a shareholder, a significant investment of mine, uh, second largest investment. Uh, and we uh, settled with the defendants uh, for $300 million. And what took it from uh, good to great uh, was a kind of surprise uh, blocking of the settlement by the judge that was overseeing this. Uh, that was a surprise in December. Uh, and if you kind of follow along the line, you know, you can see where the uh, settlement uh, looked uh, priced in with a high level of confidence around 25. It, it broke to right around 10 uh, and uh, became uh, a really terrific opportunity in my mind uh, because of a lack of precedent law facts that supported um, uh, blocking this settlement uh, in the uh, this was kind of we then subsequently put it out as our best idea for 2022 and it has begun to recover uh, doubled or so from 10-ish to 20-ish uh, and is still on the way though to a very likely uh, settlement that we think is going to probably be worth somewhere uh, around uh, $25. Typically, I'm not kind of watching the stock price, but in this case, it's very indicative, kind of showing kind of what happened, the history of what happened, the settlement, the blocking of the settlement, and then as the market starts to warm to the possibility that we might get it. Um, my upside had been, um, call it a stock that is worth mid-single digit, excluding a settlement that we think, call it slightly above $25 a share, call it 25 or 26, um, so kind of worth low 30s together. Uh, and this was a phenomenal opportunity close to 10, it's still a very good opportunity close to 20, but it's become more interesting recently where the judge that had thrown this into chaos by rejecting uh, our settlement has come back in a recent hearing uh, that I subsequently uh, mentioned in the write-up on the 19th, but we'll kind of uh, give a little more color here to say that the judge reversed his tone and basically said, look, you shareholders should still get uh, what you either is going to get it's about 200 it's actually 199 million dollars net why doesn't your overpaid lawyer take some of the money out of his own fee 100 million dollars or so and use that to settle with other people intervening in this case who were former shareholders who are not part of the current derivative class they're not really part of any class but there's somebody opposing the settlement and can't you just smooth things over with 50 million dollars so doesn't come out of my pocket um, uh, directly. And in fact, if any money's not claimed, it comes back to me, uh, which I like. And uh, the lawyer uh, gets very, very rich instead of very, 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 very rich. And so uh, he's probably relatively happy too. So it's a great situation. It currently today, you know, anything under $25 uh, is, I think, a phenomenal opportunity. Um, you know, you're going to get a dividend this year for over 25, I think. You'll be left with something worth a few bucks after that. Mm. All right. So also, so anything under 25, you're mm -hmm. saying it's still great. I know originally in the article, um, you mentioned your original upside was up to $33. Do you mm -hmm. still hold that? Yeah, it's about that. You know, the um, I don't have a particularly strong view on the stub on what we're going to get other than distribution. I think we're going to get a distribution. It works out, you know, to what we're currently contemplating between 25 and 26. The upside from there is if uh, any of the other monies unclaimed, it could be up to a few dollars more than that. 
but that's kind of gravy. And then you're left with um, a uh, position um, that uh, I don't have any particular focus on. Uh, owns you know three quarters of a little company, uh, Cakes and Auto Holdings, uh, KXIN. It had fairly recently been trading three. It's now trading around a buck. I don't think it's particularly valuable. Uh, there's a couple cleanup things we might do. Uh, one thing that shareholders are contemplating is perhaps pushing to just liquidate the whole thing. So instead of having a 25 or 26 payment, just shut the thing down and then have a payment closer to 30. Hmm. Uh, that's really interesting. Now, if anyone wants to check out more about Renren and Chris's case about this stock and the situation going on, Feel free to go over to the Renren ticker symbol page on Seeking Alpha. His article is there. You can check it out. He's even given an update article on it as well. Chris, thanks for bringing this to our attention and bringing the idea to our audience. I know they appreciate your insights. We'll talk here again soon. You have a good weekend, all right? Thank you. You too. All right. That brings us to further ado, bringing back in our own managing editor, Kim Khan. Now, there's no way we can, oh, sorry, there's no way we can get away without reviewing some of the top news stories from this week. So, Kim, what do you have for us? Well, I want to take a look at, um, I guess, the broader um, market action this week. And um, I guess we're kind of wrapping up the month. We've got about a couple hours today left and then one more trading day in January. And the NASDAQ is looking at its worst um, January performance ever. Um, it's down more than 13% so far. And um, it, for the month, it's, you know, and um, it's next, high, you know, biggest drop was 9.9%. Um, so it's it's pretty clearly going to have the worst month ever. And that's going to be a, also the broader market. If you believe in the January indicator of, um, you know, as January goes, then so goes the year. Um, the broader market's also down for January. Um, there's just still a lot of pressure with rates going up on these you know, high valuation stocks. And um, we had a bunch of um, moving on to one of the other stories, we have a bunch of earnings that um, came in from the big uh, mega cap tech names, um, uh, Microsoft, Apple, and Tesla. Um, most interesting um, is the divergence of the stock performances between Apple, which is doing um, well today, up over 5% last time I checked, and and Tesla, which, which plummeted about 8% um, on the back of another decline. It was testing its 200-day its moving average. Um, you know, both companies mentioned supply chain problems. I guess it was the way that they kind of went about it that investors had differing reactions. If you look at um, Apple, they came out and said, um, yeah, we're having supply chain issues, especially with components for the iPad. But, you know, Tim Cook was out there trying to reassure people on the call and saying that things are improving, that situation's looking better um, this month. Um, Tesla kind of, what many analysts said, threw a bunch of curveballs. And investors said, you know, oh yeah, by the way, we a lot of factories are working under capacity because we can't get the components. And the investor like, okay, that's first we're hearing of this. And another kind of interesting comparison is that Tesla um, is tends to do well when it has good products um, on the horizon, just like Apple does. So like, you know, when they don't come out with like, you know, if, it, if the new iPhone is just a kind of meh, um, then you know, Apple tends to not do so well. Um, Tesla didn't come out with any great um, visibility on what it's doing in the future didn't have a big new product that it could launch to um i think elon Musk tried to kind of like um scramble as he saw the stock price fall and and make up for that by um by basically saying oh wait we've got robo taxis they'll be everywhere 
you know, watch this space, but investors kind of were buying it. So it's, 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 it's looking for another troubling week. And um, also um, moving on to the commodities front, we've got Brent crude oil, which reclaimed the $90 per barrel level um, for the first time in, in seven years. And what's really interesting is our, um, our energy team looked at is if you look at these past seven years, um, you know, the energy sectors and stocks is down about um, 25% in those uh, seven years versus 125% gain in the S&P 500. So, um, you know, a lot of underperformance over that time. Now they seem to be in a sweet spot with free cash flow, the um, oil companies and high prices. So that, you know, so much so that Goldman Sachs is out today saying, okay, we're finally going to go overweight um, on and all on the energy stocks. It's still a lot of catching up to do. But who knows? Maybe it's just temporary. I know there's a lot of conversation going around. Maybe it's going to $100 a barrel. Maybe it's going down. Obviously, we'll have to see what happens with the market on that. Um, like, can I ask you real quick, Kim? I mean, in regards to Apple and Tesla, obviously, Apple not too long ago just hit a $3 trillion market cap evaluation. And that seemed to be the big story. And obviously, we're, we're, we pulled back quite a bit. So with this breakout quarter, do you think uh, the market isn't analyzing this correctly? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, they're kind of, there was a response. There's been a lot of, of, of concern about where these, you know, companies go with, uh, you know, they're still growth stocks and you got to realize it and they're also behemoths. So it makes it very tough to value. Um, it's, it, they want to, you know, you're still looking at what's on the, on the horizon, maybe five years down the road and saying like, there's going to be new products and the next, you know, the next iPhone or whatever. So you're still in it for that. And so you pay a, like a, a very big premium for that. But you're also getting, you know, huge amount of earnings and, and free cash flow from these big companies that got dominant market positions. So they're almost like defensive growth stocks. So and I think that's why post earnings, the market has difficulty kind of trying to figure out where they want to, you know, where they want to value it. And, you know, you know, if you looked at the chart of Apple today, it was up and down a lot. You know, it was up right after earnings, then it got overnight faded and then just started sort you know, really picking up steam this afternoon. So, yeah, I guess the market is having trouble kind of figuring that out, too. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. Well, Kim, I really appreciate you bringing those new stories to us, and we'll see you again next week. All right. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too. All right, everyone. And this brings us to the end of the weekend bite. Just a reminder if you are not subscribed to the Wall Street Breakfast newsletter, it is a free newsletter that you get in your in your inbox every single morning. And I know our team here works so hard on it around the clock 24-7. So go ahead to seekingalpha.com and sign up for the Wall Street Breakfast newsletter. You won't miss it. And that's all for us this week. Everyone have a great weekend.